You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Prue. Hello, Michael. Oh, Andre, being married is fun. Really? I'm still having fun. I'm in the middle of planning my honeymoon. I'm off to um, L'Hermitage, Beaujolais. Oh, yeah, and, you're doing and, Beaujolais and again. And Burgundy. Yes, I'm, I am making my return to Beaujolais to um, just remind myself how far my dollar will go. I was... Uh, um, I was just checking with my wife if, if we had wine delivery today, and she said she denied it. And I said, I doubt you denied it because there's Chardonnay in the box. So she won't deny What'd she Chardonnay. Say? She just uh, answered. She won't. Didn't. She won't deny Chardonnay. No, and I won't either. Um, geez, I can't reply. I can't actually read that out loud. Oh, <laughs> because yeah, it's <laughs> well. Apparently, after our last podcast, we need a swear jar. Yes, I heard we were uh, a, a little bit over the top, but you know, we were talking about it was it was wines. it was effing good wine. Uh, speaking of effing good wine, you are straight up my favorite person right now, <laughs> uh, because I think I've talked on this podcast a little bit before about how much I enjoy Paul Hobbs wines. Like yes, to the point where I chased them down to upstate New York. And I yanked this out of my cellar today, because I know you're a big <laughs> fan of uh, Tokalone. Yeah, and you brought a 2006 Paul Hobbs Beckstoffer Tokalon Vineyard Cabernet Sauvignon, and this is as close to perfection as I think I'm going to taste for the rest of this year. Uh, well, there's not much of that this year left, but you never know. You may get something. Christmas is coming. Like, I mean, somebody's going to give you... I don't know if I've well, been a, a second. You, for that. You had, uh, you had Krug for your... Uh, I did have Krug. Uh, but the thing is... Oh, different categories. But, I mean, it's been a good year for, for tasting wine. I know you and I, we both missed the Latour tasting that we got to see on social media. A few people attend this yeah. week. But you know what? I don't know if I would have enjoyed it as much as getting to sit and enjoy a bottle of this wine with a good Cor- friend of mine. Correct. So, that's... Uh, and and you, want, you wanted to talk today about uh, cool climate, which this is far from. Yeah, I thought we would tackle a little bit of the wine 101 topics, because I've been thinking about this a fair bit, and I'm not talking about people who know literally nothing about wine. I'm talking about people who know that they like the taste of wine, but don't really know where to go from there, because I, I know you get the question a lot, yep. and I get the question a lot, do you like red or white better? Yes, and I can answer that. Really? Yeah. What's your answer? Red. I'm a red wine drinker. I'm a, def- I'm a 100% red wine drinker. Because for me, I can't, I can't answer that question. Like ni- 90% of the wine... You can ch- tell by your wine cellar. 90% of my wine cellar is, is red. So I'm a red drinker. Okay, but that being said, though, 90% of my wine cellar is red as well. But it's just because the red wines I like need a little bit of time before they're ready to drink. Where white wine typically comes into this house and out of this house. With the exception of that 10% being Chardonnay... And sparkling. Well, well we're, we're, we're you know we're Canadian first of all. We we see a change of season, and so we typically drink more white in the summer and red in the winter. Yeah, and then, then then the shoulder seasons of the fall and the spring, you kind of just they kind of meld together, and you kind of go from whites to reds in those seasons. See, and and then then there's rosé, which is why I made rosé. Hashtag rosé all day. Like I mean. Rosé is just one of those wines. Somebody said to me, uh, did you drink enough rosé this summer? And I said, you know what? I still have a lot of rosé left over. 
uh, from the summer. I don't think we drank as much rosé as I would have wanted to, but yeah, we drank a fair bit of rosé. Michael asked me if I drank enough rosé this summer. Well, you made rosé. I drank too much rosé this summer. So there was I'm ready. Much... I'm ready to get into red wine. You... I'm ready to get into the Chardonnay. And you drank Chardonnay. so much rosé that half the time you thought you were bleeding out your urethra. Okay, that's a little graphic, <laughs> but still not worthy of the swear jar. No, urethra so, is not a dirty word. So the point that I was I was going to make though is I've sort of found when I talk to people about the wines they like when they're new to it. Um, if I talk to someone who says that they love red wine, mm-hmm. and let's say they started with yellowtail, and I know we've crapped on yellowtail in in the past, but I mean, let's face it, it's a starting point for a lot of people who are getting into the wine world. I, I would say these days it's not yellowtail. I would say it's apothic red, and as much as that makes me cringe, I under I understand it. At least yep. at least they're drinking wine and not white Zinfandel, which is not really wine. I want everybody to know that. Hashtag white Zinfandel is not wine. Um, and better put that not, hashtag out there when we put this up. And then um, they're not drinking coolers, right? Yeah. Like they're, like Apothic Red is, I guess, legitimate wine. But here's the thing is, is if I had an Apothic drinker at my table right now and I opened up, let's say, a 2014 or 2013 Trius Red, which is a great wine. It's consistent every year. Uh, and it's one of yours and, and, and my favorite. Like it, it's a benchmark wine for what red it, wine. It is. is, and the fifteen was great. And uh, I just got a chance to try the sixteen. Yeah, holy beep. That yeah, was a good wine. Let's let's hold the thoughts on hold the thoughts on that. But yeah, I, okay. I agree with you yeah. on that. But I picked I picked cool vintages because if we have an apothic drink and we're just like this is a really great glass of Canadian wine, I'll find probably nine times out of ten they'll take a sip and be this is really tart. Yes. Yes. And it's because they've gone from drinking something that is really ripe and luscious Rich and a little and bit sweet, sweet. Yeah, uh, yeah. to something that is a little bit more restrained and acidic and the food friendly. Yeah. I mean, I mean that's where we're going to go in this podcast eventually, but the light bulb went off in my head that when you're getting into wine, I don't think it's so much about whether you like red or white, but it's a little bit more about whether you like cool climate or warm climate wines. And I don't know if you agree with me on that. I thought we'd unpack that. For the wine 101. Well, I don't know if it's if it's that. I've always, I I do teach um, some wine classes just just to let everybody know, and uh, I always find that there is a there is a good progression if you're a, if you're a well-rounded wine person, you usually started off with something sweet yep. uh, or fruit based, not yep. grapefruit, but I mean grape. I mean, uh, you got apple or pear or yeah, strawberry. Yeah, yeah. I get where you're going. And then you moved on somewhere to Riesling because that was slightly sweet and still in your Ballywick at that point. Yep. Then you probably went a little bit drier. You probably ended up with some Chardonnay, some Pinot Gris. And then you started with uh, a light red, a Gamay or a Valpolicella, something that's definitely light and easy drinking. And then you moved on. I always found that people who go, I don't like wine and I don't like drinking wine had some stupid uncle, when they were really young, went, you've got to try this. And it was some Bordeaux that wasn't ready, and it was harsh, and they were like, I don't want to drink that. I would agree with that. And I think you were just, you were just given a wine that was not, not to where you were in life. It's not up to your palate. You yeah, need and, something... And I, think, and I think we're in an interesting place right now because of like how great South America is represented at the, the LCBO, and... You get great food-friendly wines from Chile and from Argentina, but I wouldn't call those, for the most part, cool climate wines. See, my, my first love in, in wine was Gato Negro. 
which okay. was a Merlot out of uh, out of uh, Chile, and then I moved to, uh, um, and then that was under it was under ten dollars at the time, and um, I, I, I walked up to David Lorison very recently, and I said to him, I got to blame you for for my wine collection, and he like looks at me, and um, because he used to put out a book, I think he still does for Toronto Life. It's a guide. I don't know if it's a it's separate a book. Yeah, yeah. It used, it used to be a separate book that used to come out with Toronto Life. And I would go through that with a fine-tooth comb. And he came out with something called the Long Flat Red, which was from Australia. And at this time, I'm buying wines under $10. Yeah. And this wine was ten oh five. Okay. And I can no longer... If I buy this one... And he gave it a glowing recommendation. Like, for five cents more, I could have this wine. Which turned out to be a really great wine. Did he score it 98 points? He did not score it. 99. Okay. Um... But he he gave it a really good score, and and I'm, I'm almost positive he was using stars at the time. Yeah, and um, and then I the moment I bought that I could no longer say I was uh, a sub ten dollars. A seller. sub ten dollars. So now I was at tw- I so so I would go I am sub twelve dollars. See, and I was fortunate enough to kind of get the crash course. So when I was eighteen and started to drink wine and started drinking, uh, my parents always had Wolf Blast Cabernet Sauvignon in the house, and this would have been around. The year 2002. That at one point was the most popular selling wine uh, across Canada, if I'm not and, mistaken. And I remember it being, at that point... And that was point, serious wine. That's some serious wine. At, at that point, it was a dry wine, but it was still very fruity, yes. very juicy. Australia. Very luscious. The tannin was soft. Like, it was a ready-to-drink, and it was like 17 bucks a bottle yeah. in Saskatchewan. And I was lucky to have to, to be able to bypass a lot of the, the sweet wine stuff. But anyways, I guess the point that I'm making, it was fairly easy to go from rich... Australian wine to moving to Ontario in 2007 and grabbing every bottle of Trius Red I could get my hands on. And I think I still have... But a totally different experience as you go. Yeah, definitely. Because you've got that rich round fruit from a hot climate like Australia. Well, key, a key moment is the year that I moved to Ontario. 2007. Which means when I really started drinking a lot of Trius Red would have been the 2007 vintage. Vintage, yeah. Which so was you've a got very the, hot summer. Correct. So you've got a rich round... Uh, Ontario wine, but then did you, do you remember going for the 08, maybe the 09? Yeah, and I remember having a bit of a harder time with them, but I remember as I started to get more and more into Ontario wine, loving 08 and 09 Cabernet Franc that was young. Yeah. Um, the bottle that's still on my mantle is a 2004 Hillebrand Showcase Cabernet Sauvignon. And how about was 2004 as a growing year? Not good. Well, I was drinking that wine in 2008, 2009 at 35 bucks a bottle, and it knocked my socks off. 03, 04, uh, I don't think anybody would tell you it's a classically great vintage. Uh, but you know what? Let's, let's be honest. Um, good producers, at their high-end product, are going to make a better product even in a lousy year. In a lousy year. Uh, and I put, I, you know, and here's the thing. I'm going to put that in air quotes. Yeah, because, no, no, I Because I made, I made Pinot Noir Rosé in a air quote, lousy year. And I can tell you, well, with the fruit last year. Hold on a challenge. second. Rosé is one of those great, one of those wines you make in lousy years because you couldn't get anything to ripen. But I, I digress. It was a good, it was a good Rosé. I have to give you that. Yeah, sorry to be, sorry to be uh, patting myself on the back a lot with this. But I guess just sort of the point that... that I still have bottles it, of that. I guess the, the, the I guess the point and you and I have sort of danced around it, but this is to the the wine one hundred and one people listening to yeah. this is if you want to get into red wine, it's probably easier to jump on to a warm climate growing region. 
Yes, it is. So Chile, Argentina, like Argentina is huge these yep. days. You got uh, you got Malbec, which is big. Chile was the big one. Big, uh, you know, Merlots from uh, uh, Merlots from Chile were a, were a big thing. You know, just those those big wines or those. I guess they're not big. They're just easy on the palate. Yeah, people, you get, you people get a lot, like you get Malbec. A lot of it's, 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 a, it's a thing where when you're new to wine, you'll be like, "This tastes sweet," but when it's you just, when you it's just fruity, it's just lots it. of and, fruit. And, and yeah, that's and that's the thing about big red wines that are yeah. a lot of fun. Like, make sure you read the as an exercise. If you if you really want to start getting an understanding of what your wine is like, you can see if it's like less than eight grams per liter sugar. It, you shouldn't be able to really taste the sweetness. It's not like taking a spoonful of sugar and putting it in your mouth. But if you're tasting something that tastes sweet, it's likely just the natural ripeness of the fruit from the climate. Yeah, people and people automatically think it. You know, they go, "Oh, I like that sweet wine," and you're like, "And and do you do, do you explain to them that it's just sweet fruit, or do you just let them go thinking they're having a sweeter wine?" I try to ex- explain that they're just drinking sweet fruit and not drinking the the sugar part of it because I, I think that's that to me that's one of the joys of the wine like i mean this this beautiful paul hobbs wine we're drinking right now like it tastes like sweet black currant jam but there is it's got no that cocoa note right on oh, it yeah. too oh my god that's good but there's no sugar in this like this is not a no. sweet wine this no. is a bone dry wine and you can get you get that on the finish the finish is just cedary and smoky and and and, and cassisi and but i mean I suspect when this was young, this would have come across as as, as sweeter. It's a 2006, right? Yep. Oh yeah, it's oh yeah, it's. I was still at university. Yeah. yeah. But um, but then then you can move like places like Italy. Italy's another great place to get into um, affordable wines that have a lot of that sweet sweetness. Fruit. Now you're talking about southern Italy. You're talking about things that are Zinfandel, like Primitivo, or uh, which is Zinfandel, or or uh, Negro Amaro, which is, you know, the name means black and bitter, but it's far from black and bitter the way they make it. It's got that sweet, luscious fruit. Or kind um, of everyone's entry level into premium wines, Amarone. True, but Amarone is a very dry wine that with sweet. lots of fruit. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's the apparent sweetness that comes from the alcohol, because it's 16.5. Yeah. That's where you get that. But I don't know if we've exp- I don't know if we've really explained the difference between cool climate and hot climate. I guess I guess the real difference is just look at the temperatures. Yeah. If it's a hot climate, California is considered warmer or hot. Chile, Australia, Argentina, anywhere, South Africa, South Africa, South though, of Italy, they're going to have problems keeping their acidity. Whereas cool climates have no problem keeping the acidity. They have problems ripening, but You'll find that a lot of those European countries that have those cool climates also have food cultures. Yeah, so I guess just to dumb it down a, a little bit more, when you're growing grapes, whether it's in California, the Okanagan, Oregon, Niagara, Burgundy, you'll hear grape growers talk about the ripeness of the fruit, so the overall sugar in the fruit. Otherwise known as bricks. And the natural acidity of the fruit. And then the third factor, which overrules all chemistry, is what the fruit tastes like. I'm telling you, the the 18 fruit uh, from Ontario is tasting pretty sweet. It is. And if you talk to some growers towards the end of the summer on early ripening uh, varieties, like, I'll bet you the Gewürztraminer, for the little bit of Gewürztraminer that comes from this province, 
is going to have pretty low acid and mm. probably a lot of sweetness to yep. it. But uh, what I what I what I worry about now is you know we've been having a lot of rain, so I think uh, Cab Francs and the and the Cab Sauvs are going to have a real struggle over the next month to try and get them in still ripe. Yeah. But Man, we're getting a little nerdy here. Yeah, we're getting. We're trying. Little... This is supposed to be one on one, Mike. We're not one on oneing this one. No, we're not. Must, oh man, must be the Paul Hobbs wine that's getting to it. I think so. Look, basically, if you're starting out with wine, not not knocking Ontario. Nope. Or France. Or France. Or New or, Zealand. Or, or Northern Italy. Italy. Or Oregon. Or uh, we're, come on, we go Germany. Look, come on, go, we got some other great, cool climate regions. Let's throw them all out there. Go for. Um, I, I guess just go for a hot climate and go for easy drinking grapes. So Merlot, uh, you know, they, people poo-poo Merlot, but I mean... No, Merlot is easy. I'll it's tell you what, if you, easy if, drinking grape. If, if you want your gateway, if you want your gateway to Niagara, if you want your gateway to Niagara, get your hands on some Okanagan Merlot. You're drinking Canadian. Yeah. And the really cool thing about, about the Okanagan, you know what, this is going to be my, my shout out to the Okanagan, is it's got a lot of warmer climate tendencies because it's so right. hot and dry yes. there but it really is a cool climate growing region they hold on to their acidity very well for I, the most part. i do find their merlots to be a little bit riper and richer and juicier than but, ontario but still great acid great acid but uh i always find ontario merlot needs more time to come around i always find that right out of the bottle our merlots seem to be a little too acid driven and the fruit takes about three or four years to really come around and then suddenly bang it's like the acid and fruit flip and and we make some great merlot uh, i hope this podcast was entertaining to the people listening to it i hope Do it we, made sense i'm sure it made some sense to someone we tried so i'm gonna call this podcast warm climate versus cool climate subtitle we tried maybe i don't know hopefully this makes sense to someone but i mean it's just <laughs> If you're, if, you're, if, you're, if you're new to wine, start with warm climate, an easier way into cool climate. Correct. If you've tasted Ontario wine and you thought that it was too tart, I can't guarantee you're going to love it, but I think the odds are pretty good that you're going to love it at some point. But, it, okay, so, and if, you, and if you're and if you a localophile, is that a Locavore. Locavore, is that what Yeah, locavore is what they're called. If you're, uh, if you're a locavore and you like those rich uh, flavors in your wine uh, and you want to stay Ontario... 15, 16, and potentially 18. We'll there's see how it turns out. There's still some 12s kicking around, too. And if there's some 12s kicking around, although they all start developing. Okay, so Michael just threw character. some numbers out. So 2015, 2016. Summers. Those are summers that were very hot, so more sugar in the grapes, lower acids, but they might still come across as tart. Don't give up. Uh, it'll be an acquired taste. Yeah. All right, now that we've confused everybody. Yep, we suck. Go get a glass of wine. That's yep, all we're going to say. That. Just have a glass of wine, please. Uh-huh. No, again, hashtag uh, White Zinfandel is not real wine. Yeah, I can't believe you remember that podcast even after all that. Yeah. Or sorry, did I just say podcast? I'm just yeah. hashtag. Hashtag. Yeah. 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 It's, it's not real wine. Okay. I'm Andre Pru from underwinereview.ca. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast, leave a review. No comments about angry phone calls, but hey, we didn't curse once. That's pretty f-ing awesome. Oops. Damn it. We're really good at that. I'm Michael Pingus from MichaelPingusWineReview.com, and as always, good night! Hey! Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes.